Chapter Eleven of the Cowardly Lion of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron White. The Cowardly Lion of Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter Eleven A Strange Fishing Party. To their surprise, none of the Uns followed them, and in about an hour they had come to the edge of the skyle. The cowardly lion shuddered as he looked down into the clear blue air, and even Notta had a queer feeling in the pit of his stomach as the white clouds went rolling and tumbling past them. "'Do you think we'll catch any birds, Notta?' asked Bob Up, venturing so near the edge that the cowardly lion gave a roar of terror. "'Remember you're not a bird,' he warned. "'I'll fix him,' said Notta. Cutting the line from one of the rods, he doubled it many times and fastened Bob securely to the tree. With what was left, he made a safety belt for himself. Then, while the cowardly lion shivered with fright, they sat upon the edge of the skyle and cast their lines far into the air below. "'Now, Bob, my lad, don't expect a bite too soon,' said the clown, "'for fishing is a mortal slow business, but a fine one for thinking, "'and all of us must think of a way to get off this island "'before we're pushed off by the uns.' "'The cowardly lion, with his back to the two fishermen, "'kept a sharp lookout for the enemy, "'and all three tried to think. "'But... Thinking, when you're hungry, is hard work. Besides, there were so many things to distract one's attention. The sky, as the afternoon advanced, turned a soft and dreamy pink, and the clouds drifting by were of every shape and color imaginable, green, purple, amber, and gold, and of such marvelous form that each seemed lovelier than the last. There were castles and tall-masted ships. There were caravans and chariots, and once a white and wonderful princess waved to the little boy from the back of a feathery swan. So it was small wonder Notta and Bob forgot the Uns, and even their fishing lines blowing gently to and fro in the soft pink air waves. Then, all at once, Bob's line gave a jerk, and had he not been tied to the tree, he would certainly have been pulled off the skyle. Oh, oh! screamed the little boy in delight. I've caught something! Giving his rod to the cowardly lion, who was blinking dreamily at a wonderful cloud city, the clown ran to help Bob, and hand over hand they pulled up the line. What do you suppose was on it? A goose! A simply enormous goose! It was smoking gently as they drew it over the edge. Why? It's cooked, marveled Notta, unfastening the line which had caught in the bird's legs. And so it was, cooked in all its feathers and with its head tucked under its wing. Ah, so our goose is cooked, is it? observed the cowardly lion, sniffing the air hungrily. Must have flown too near the sun. Well, chuckled Notta, that I don't pretend to know. Fishing for birds is strange enough, but catching a cooked goose is almost too good to be true. But it is true, 
exulted Bob, clapping his hands, and I caught it. While the cowardly lion watched the two rods, Bob proudly picked his goose. Notta ran off in search of water. In a few minutes he came running back with a bucket full which he had drawn from a small sky well. The bucket, one of the canvas collapsible kind used in circuses, the clown had fortunately stowed under his capacious belt. As neither meat nor drink was now lacking, they sat down under a small tree and dined quite merrily. The cowardly lion ate one half of the goose, bones and all, and Notta and Bob finished off the rest. "'It looks,' said the clown, rising to take a drink of water out of the bucket which he hung on a branch of the tree, "'it looks as if the Uns had forgotten us.' "'Maybe,' mused the lion, shaking his mane. "'But we mustn't forget them. Have you thought of anything yet?' "'Not a thing,' confessed the clown cheerfully. He turned a dozen cartwheels and walked a few paces on his hands and ended up with a somersault over Bob. "'You're a spry one,' said the cowardly lion admiringly, as the clown sat down with his back against his tree. "'As spry a one as I've ever met.' "'Thank you,' laughed Nada. If thinking came as easily as cartwheeling, we'd be off this skyle in no time. But now that we're fed and comfortable, suppose we think again. I'd rather fish, said Bob up promptly. Can't we fish a little longer, Nada? Well, there's no harm in it, replied the clown, winking at the cowardly lion. And as we'll probably have to spend the night here, we may as well catch something for breakfast. "'Try to catch me something uncooked this time, won't you?' asked the cowardly lion, thumping his tail lazily on the ground. "'You know I prefer my food uncooked.' Bob smiled a little at this, and moving his rod gently to and fro, thought about the comical adventures he was having. Notta, with his back to the tree, was fishing too, and everything was very quiet.' All around them the light was fading, and the clouds turned from pink to a dull gray and rushed past with an angry sort of sighing. Night was coming on, and soon the stars began to twinkle above and below the little skyland. Bob had never seen stars so large nor so bright, but then Bob had never been so close to them before. He was thinking rather solemnly that it would be fun to catch a star when Notta oppressed by the silence, burst into a merry song. A little chocolate cookie man went calling on a plate. She said, sir, it is ten o'clock. Why do you come so late? Because I'm made that way, said he, my little china girly. I'm always choco-late, you see, so how could I come early? And is it not, my darling, better choco-late than never? The wee plate cracked. A little smile. Oh, sir, she said, you're clever, and you may call tomorrow even though you're choco-late, but pshaw, he never came because that cookie man was eight. Bob laughed right out loud, and Notta, who had been trying to make Bob merry, tossed his cap triumphantly into the air. Very good, murmured the cowardly lion, waving his tail gently, except for that last line, was eight. Isn't that a bit ungrammatical even for oz there you go getting unish 
teased Nada. I guess I can be ungrammatical in un. Nada, Nada, I've got another bite, screamed Bob, hopping about on one foot. That finished the argument. Hope it's a bite for me, said the cowardly lion. Then he gave a little roar of surprise, for over the edge of the skyle came a dog, as dear and shaggy a little bow-wow as had ever barked at an ice-man. The hook had caught neatly in its collar, and though it was a little out of breath, it was otherwise unhurt. Well, rumbled the cowardly lion, rising on his haunches, so this is breakfast. Bob, what do you mean by catching a dog for my breakfast? Oh, please, whimpered the dog, rolling its soft eyes in terror. You wouldn't eat a little fellow who was only out for a walk, would you? He sat up and begged so prettily Bob caught him up in his arms and hugged him. Oh, Nada, may I keep him? I've never had a dog. Well, now, said the clown, scratching his ear, I don't see why not. Don't keep me wailed the dog piteously, for I belong to a little boy on another star, and he would miss me very much. What kind of dog are you? gasped the clown, staring at the little creature. What do you mean by taking a walk through the sky and living on a star? I am a sky terrier, answered the little dog, looking anxiously from one to the other. You wouldn't hurt a little fellow like me, would you? But how will you get home? asked Nada. Just throw me back into the air, barked the dog, and licked Bob on the nose so coaxingly he couldn't bear to refuse, though his heart was heavy at the thought of losing him. I guess that other little boy would miss you, sighed Bob. So kissing the shaggy little terrier right on the nose, he dropped him gently over the edge of the skyle, and as they watched, he scampered hurriedly over a cloud and then along through the sky as easily as if he had been on land instead of air. He paused once and looked over his shoulder, then with a joyful bark and a wave of his tail ran off, vanishing like a speck in the distance. Notta, seeing that Bob was downhearted at losing the little fellow, suggested that they start fishing again. "'Who knows what we may catch this time?' exclaimed the clown, pushing back his cap and snapping his line energetically. Almost at once both lines became taut, and when they were drawn up, two shiny silver packages fell from the slender hooks. "'Dreams for a little boy,' said a small label on Bob's package. "'Dreams for a big boy,' said the label on Nata's package. With trembling fingers they untied the silver ribbons, and had no sooner done so than Bob drooped gently against Nada, and the clown fell back against a tree. In another second both were fast asleep, dreaming the lovely stories they had caught in the sky. It happened so quickly that the cowardly lion was completely taken by surprise. He sniffed the silver papers. Dreams! read the cowardly lion by the light of the stars. Well, I guess they're regular sleeping powders. It's a good thing I didn't catch a dream, for somebody must stay awake and keep guard. The big beast yawned and stretched, then, carefully dragging Bob and Nada back from the edge of the skyle, set himself to keep the watch while they slept. 
He was terribly sleepy himself, and keeping awake was a hard fight. But the cowardly lion knew that the lives of these two mortals depended upon him. So he walked up and down, and down and up the edge of Skyland, and presently he heard a sound that made him quake with terror. Footsteps in the woods, hundreds of them, coming nearer every minute. The Uns! choked the cowardly lion, and hesitated between waking Notta and Bob or advancing to meet the enemy. Before he could make up his mind, a whole party, their feathers gleaming strangely in the moonlight, burst out of the trees. Push em off! Shove em off! screamed the leader, waving on the rest. It was I wish I was, and in little hops and springs they came tumbling toward him. With a roar that sounded more terrible than anything you can imagine, because it was mostly made up of terror, the cowardly lion sprang straight at them. Down went I wish I was, and a dozen of his warriors. Shaking and quaking with fear, the cowardly lion made quick springs and snatches, and when the uns, with little screams of rage, drew back, his mouth was full of feathers. But they were far from giving up, and after a brief parley came on again. Once more the cowardly lion struck out, left and right. This time two dozen more were down, but the cowardly lion was slowly being forced toward Notta and Bob and the treacherous edge of the skyle. Armed with feathered sticks and screaming horribly, the uns came on a third time, and though the cowardly lion fought them with might, mane, claw, tooth, and nail, he was almost smothered by the attack. Something of the alarm made the clown stir in his sleep, and the triumphant shout of I wish I was brought him wide awake. He sat up just in time to see the cowardly lion go down under a perfect wave of uns. Help! help screamed notta but there was no one to help them he made a little dash to the left but the line that tied him to the tree caught him with a jerk he made a little dash to the right spun around and clasped his stomach in despair just then the cowardly lion growling like a whole menagerie shook off the mass of uns and bounded to his side Feathers were strewn in every direction, and a hundred of the uns lay where they had fallen. The poor cowardly lion was shaking with exhaustion and fright, but never thought of giving up, and when the uns made another rush, he met them as valiantly as ever. Wild screams from the featherheads in the rear made him pause and look over in alarm at Notta. The clown, with staring eyes, was mumbling continuously under his breath, and touching first one and then another of the crowd swarming around him, and each time he touched an un, the un disappeared. The cowardly lion stopped fighting and sat down with a thud. The uns stopped fighting, and those in front began to tread on the toes of the ones in back in their anxiety to get away. When twenty had vanished in as many seconds, the rest ran howling to the woods. Well, panted the cowardly lion, rolling his eyes wildly at Notta. You saved my life, old fellow, cried the clown, giving him an impulsive hug. And you saved mine, gasped the lion as soon as he had breath enough to gasp. But how did you do it, and where are they? In Mudge, 
explained the clown, drawing his knees up to his chin and winking at the cowardly lion. In Mudge and scaring the life out of Mustafa, I'll wager. Remember the magic verse that brought us here? Well, every time an un came near, I said, Udge, budge, go to Mudge, Udger, budger, you're a mudger. Marvelous, sighed the cowardly lion. But how did you think of it so quick? I had to replied Notta modestly. You see, when there's nothing else to do, I think, and not thinking very often makes me do it rather well. But do you suppose the other uns will come back? The cowardly lion shook his head. Not in an hundred years, he yawned, and now that they are good and frightened, let's all get some sleep. The cowardly lion was bruised and ruffled and so tired he could not keep his eyes open another minute. Stretching himself beside Bob, who had not even heard the battle, he fell instantly into a heavy slumber. Notta, lying on the other side of the little boy, was soon enjoying the rest of the dreams in his silver package. Towards morning faint cries aroused the cowardly lion. Though only half awake, he sprang up, blinking his eyes nervously. Then he gave a howl of dismay, for Notta and Bob were nowhere to be seen. End of chapter 11